Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. Kevin Hogan here. Let's take a look at our top stories. An auto parts group calling for an end to the protest that's blocking a key bridge between Canada and the United States. What do they suggest? Experts are warning inflation will rise, but they say it will eventually stabilize, and President Biden insists that high inflation will ease up by the end of the year. Brands are getting creative for this year's Super Bowl ads. You will see a lot of celebrities in them, and 30 seconds of airtime will cost up to $7 million. And after winning a gold medal at the Beijing Olympics, a Russian athlete is found to have failed a drug test in December. Russia is allowing her to continue competing, but the IOC is working to overturn the decision. An auto parts group in Canada is calling on law enforcement to do something about the protest at a key Canada-U.S. border crossing. He says it's impacting trade and hurting jobs. NTD's Jessica Beatty has the details. The president of a Canadian auto parts association is calling on law enforcement to remove protesters at the Ambassador Bridge. It accounts for about 25% of U.S. Canadian trade. It's against the law to park in the middle of the street and to take out hockey sticks and barbecues. So just going, ask them to leave, and if not, enforce the law in the way you would if you and I did it. The bridge connects Windsor, Canada and Detroit, Michigan. A number of automakers said Thursday they were forced to cancel or scale back production because the protest is blocking their supply of parts. You're part of a just-in-time principle of uh, automotive manufacturing. And so what's happening is because the parts can't make it across or back, all of the automotive uh, production plants in the region, that's Ontario and Michigan, have shut down. Two border crossings to North Dakota and Montana have also been blocked. Meanwhile, in Ottawa, the Freedom Convoy continues. Protesters and their supporters say the first step is lifting the vaccine mandates. In my opinion, the first step is to defuse the situation by opening up some good communication and dropping these mandates. Then we can start to have a civilized discussion about things. But until the mandates and restrictions are lifted, no one here is leaving. Another protester says Canada's government has made life difficult for her and her family because they aren't vaccinated. I think what we need to do right now is respect everyone's choices and just let us breathe. Let us breathe. We need to breathe. The Honourable Leader... Conservative leader Candace Bergen Thursday called on protesters to end the blockades, but she also had this message for them. Conservatives have heard you. And we will stand up for you and all Canadians who want to get back to normal life. We will not stop until the mandates have ended. The trucker protest has grown into a larger movement with people across Canada and even the world opposing different COVID-19 mandates and restrictions. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Ontario Premier Doug Ford has declared a state of emergency in the province. It's over the ongoing trucker protests in Ottawa and the border blockage in Windsor, Ontario. He says he will enact orders making it illegal to block and impede the movement of goods, people and services along critical infrastructure. Ford says that includes protecting international border crossings, 400 series highways, airports, ports, bridges and railways. He says fines for non-compliance will be up to $100,000 and up to a year imprisonment. Protesters who joined France's version of the Freedom Convoy passed the French city of Toulouse. They're on their way to Paris to mount their version of the Canadian truck drivers movement. They plan to drive to Paris and as far as Brussels to demand an end to COVID-19 vaccination requirements for public places. 
At a National Road intersection, around 1,000 supporters cheered the convoy. They waved French flags and held placards with slogans. Some protesters who could not travel to Paris set up snack stations for the convoy drivers in a parking lot. The convoy includes private cars, vans, motorcycles, and a few heavy goods vehicles. The Freedom Convoy resonated with France's Yellow Vest protesters. They protested in 2019 over rising fuel prices and distrust in government. Some of them are also joining the Freedom Convoy. The head of Paris police announced penalties and fines for Freedom Convoy participants ahead of their arrival in Paris. President Biden has admitted that soaring inflation is causing stress at the kitchen table. Experts say it will continue to rise, but that it will eventually taper off. Millions of Americans are feeling the strain as inflation drags on. And in New York, some are concerned about the cost of rent rising. Rents, rents, rents. Rent has went up a lot. Like, it's not easy to get apartments nowadays. There's a lot of people in the shelters. The shelter system is actually pretty packed right now. Consumer prices rose 7.5% over the last 12 months, according to the Consumer Price Index. It's the fastest year-over-year pace in 40 years. And now Americans are talking about challenges at the gas pump, too. I'm not a frugal guy, but I just saw the prices, my, my favorite milk, go up in a week. I haven't driven a car in three years, but friends of mine call me that tell me they don't want to come into city no more because the, the gas prices are through the roof. Many sectors of the economy are being hit, including retail and grocery stores. It's really affecting, um, like, I guess, like, the stuff that I buy daily, like milk, eggs. Um, now it's like, like $4, $5 a gallon. Back when I used to get it, well, my parents, when they used to get it, it used to be like $3, like, you know, to something. Food and energy prices rose particularly high over the past year. But even outside of that, core inflation surged 6% over the same time frame. The director of retail studies at Columbia says people should be careful about how they spend their money right now as opposed to years past. We have been terribly spoiled since the early 80s with very low inflation. In fact, in in many categories uh, in the consumer space, we've actually benefited from deflation, lowered prices, higher quality goods, lower prices. Goods coming as a result of the globalization of, uh, of the world with regard to goods and services. Despite the challenges, President Biden says he believes the U.S. will pull through. He insists that high inflation will ease up by the end of the year. He says he's using every tool at his disposal to tackle the problem. That includes attempting to bring down gas prices and strengthen the supply chain by helping ports. A new CNN poll shows that almost 6 out of 10 Americans are unhappy with the job President Biden is doing, and most of the people in that group say they disapprove of literally everything he's done as president so far. And another CNN poll has found that 59% of people say the economy is the most important issue. 55% say inflation, and 49% say taxes. Another priority is voting rights, with 55% of people calling them extremely important. Meanwhile, 46% of voters say education will be extremely important to their vote for Congress. Reasons for that varied, including social benefits, school curriculum and content, the pandemic, and masking. As for this election cycle, only 24% feel extremely enthusiastic about voting this year. That tracks with the levels in February 2018, but in reverse, with 30% of Republicans expressing enthusiasm compared to 22% of Democrats. Would you like it if it were easier to buy products made in America? 
Dan Brown Jr., the CEO of COVID equipment maker InstaShield, explains why Made in America matters. He argues it would create new jobs, boost the economy, and protect the environment due to the higher manufacturing standards the U.S. has. So how does this relate to Amazon? A lot of Americans use the e-commerce giant to buy goods, but Amazon is relying more on foreign products. Here Brown explains the actions he's taking to help Americans buy domestically. So right now, and, and it's always been very difficult to buy American, um, and I created this Amazon petition asking Amazon to make it easier for consumers to buy American-made products. Because if you go try to, Amer- to buy American-made products, it's very difficult, not easy to do. Um, and Amazon is a uh, e-commerce site that I can buy a toothbrush right now and have it delivered in three hours for free. And so we're asking that they um, make a Made in USA search tool function. So Made in USA button that you can press. Uh, and so say you want wrenches, you type in wrenches, press the Made in USA search tool button, and then all the top products would be American-made wrenches. And therefore, you can make an informed decision if you want to go ahead and buy the American-made version or not. Because frankly, right now, it's too, it's too difficult to do. People are busy, and, uh, and there's just not enough Made in American products. And uh, if there's not enough demand and not enough people are buying it, then no new technologies or products will be made here. What's the importance of a strong patent system on creating more potential to buy American? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, in 2011, the American Invents Act weakened our patent system. And so right now it's basically pretty broken. And when, when you have a weak patent system, uh, entrepreneurs and inventors do not want to take their technologies that they made here um, and, and make them here commercially. Because if you make your product in the United States, because our patent laws are so weak right now, you will have so many fast followers and copycats go to China, go to other countries, make your product and dump it in the U.S. market. And even sometimes, obviously, foreign companies. And when you try to bring them uh, in the patent office, they will either try to get your patent uh, uh, basically nullified or rejected, or you'll spend seven years and millions of dollars trying to do it. So without strong patent uh, protection for patent owners, it's very difficult to make products in the United States because you don't know that you're not just going to have someone come in and just completely copy your products and, and undercut you. A couple quick numbers here. Amazon has 45% of the world's e-commerce market, and its sales average $17 million every hour. And now Brown's petition to Jeff Bezos to add a made-in-USA search filter has 712 signatures. President Joe Biden has said he plans to nominate a black woman judge to succeed Justice Stephen Breyer on the U.S. Supreme Court. So far, he has declined to name any of the prospective nominees, but Thursday... Biden gave some insight into the potential candidates. Can I ask you where you stand right now in your nomination process for Supreme Court? Um, what your short list looks like? Um, or if you want to name the nominee right here, we'd, we'd be happy to hear you. <laughs> well, first of all, the short list are uh, nominees who are incredibly well qualified and documented. They are. They were the, the honor students. They come from the best universities. They have experience some on the bench, some on the practice What's the floor. number you're at, four or five, six? Well, what I've done is I've taken about four people and done the deep dive on them, meaning this thorough background checks, <clears throat> and to see uh, if there's anything in the background that would make them not qualified. 
The White House this week indicated that Biden remains on track to select a nominee before his self-imposed end of February deadline. A new drug is helping the immunocompromised to fend off COVID-19, but it's in short supply as much of the country eases pandemic precautions in the wake of the Omicron variant. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. Ray Hoffman's liver and kidney transplants saved his life. Now he takes immune-suppressing drugs. He's one of about 7 million adults in the U.S. whose immune systems are weakened that way, and that might benefit from a new COVID-19 drug. But currently, it's in low supply. I told my doctors that I had contracted COVID, their biggest concern is, how do you feel? Are you having trouble breathing? I'm like, no, I didn't have any issues like that. And they said, well, hopefully getting those shots might have helped you not have as bad of, you know, uh, symptoms. Many patients are awaiting drug maker AstraZeneca's Evasheld. It features the first set of antibodies grown in a lab to prevent COVID-19 rather than treat it. The two-shot dose is supposed to last for six months, but there isn't enough to go around yet. For pre-exposure prophylaxis, this is the only FDA authorized for emergency use medication that's available. A study found Evasheld cut the chances of infection by 77%, but that was before Omicron appeared, and the drug isn't a perfect blocker. It may not be 100%. We've already seen some breakthrough cases with Evasheld, but the hope is that even if you do get COVID, that you're not going to have a severe infection because you've got these antibodies already in your system ready to go to fight COVID. Hoffman credits Evasheld for preventing him from becoming seriously ill, saying he had some tiredness, congestion, and one day of a mild fever. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A coalition of Democrats and Republicans in the House of Representatives are protesting House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's mask mandate. She has kept the mandate up for all House members since the start of the CCP virus pandemic. The rule directs the House Sergeant-at-Arms to impose a $500 fine for a first offense and a $2,500 fine for any subsequent offense for failure to wear a mask. Fines are withdrawn from the members' paychecks. The mandate was eventually relaxed, but it was tightened again following the rise of the Delta variant. After the mandate was reimposed, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy said in a tweet that the mandate was not based on science, but on liberal officials wanting to keep a perpetual pandemic state. Democrats have largely walked in lockstep with Democrat leaders over CCP virus issues, but some are now signaling they're open to ending the House mask mandate and have even suggested end dates. The Biden administration has purchased 600,000 treatment courses of a new COVID-19 monoclonal antibody drug. Data shows it works against the Omicron variant of the CCP virus. The drug is manufactured by Eli Lilly and Company. It is used in the treatment of mild to moderate COVID-19 cases in certain high-risk patients. It works via laboratory-made proteins that mimic natural antibodies that the body produces to fight off harmful pathogens. The drug has not yet received emergency youth authorization from the Food and Drug Administration. If it does, Health and Human Services says it will make treatment free of charge. Under the contract, Health and Human Services said it would receive approximately 300,000 treatment courses in February and about another 300,000 courses in March. The contract also includes a future option for 500,000 more doses. The high cost of using travel nurses is said to be crippling hospital finances. 
An American Hospital Association policy briefing used those words Thursday, reporting labor costs were 84 percent higher than in 2019. The association that hospitals have been forced to use more expensive travel nurses due to staff shortages caused by the pandemic. The the industry group went so far as to send a letter to the Federal Trade Commission to complain about anti-competitive pricing. Hospital administrators say they are not trying to cap nurses' pay. They simply want an investigation of the practices of certain staffing agencies. Two Democratic members of the Senate Intelligence Committee have raised concerns about information on Americans gathered by the CIA. A letter by Senators Ron Wyden and Martin Heinrich, written in April of last year, summarizes those concerns. It was just declassified Thursday. The concerns mirror two 2021 reports from the Watchdog Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board. That group found the CIA secretly gathered information on Americans that was collected, incidentally, as part of foreign surveillance programs. The senators referred to the information gathering as warrantless backdoor searches of Americans. The CIA has not revealed exactly what information it has, but it says all its collection activities have been conducted in compliance with U.S. law. Fire crews battled to protect a California neighborhood after a brush fire destroyed several homes. More than 200 firefighters halted the blaze's forward progress. Media reports say the fire destroyed two houses and damaged one. One person was taken to the hospital with non-life-threatening burns. Authorities say the fire broke out in the afternoon near Sycamore Park. It grew to about seven acres at one point before it was quickly brought down in size. It has since been reduced to about four acres. The fire comes as California experiences hot and dry conditions. A fire department spokesman says winds there are blowing 15 to 20 miles an hour around the time of the fire. He says fire crews saved eight homes from destruction. Newly released figures are revealing the real-life impact of Texas's recently implemented abortion law. In the first month under the new law, abortions in Texas dropped by 60 percent. This confirms reports from doctors who've noted a sharp drop in the number of patients at abortion clinics over the past five months. According to the Texas Health and Human Services Commission, around 2,200 abortions were reported in September. This is after the new law, which bans abortions once a fetal heartbeat is detected, went into effect. By comparison, there were just over 5,400 abortions statewide in August. It's unclear whether fewer women are opting to have abortions or they are instead seeking the procedure out of state, as some reports have indicated. Despite numerous challenges to the new law, the courts have repeatedly upheld it, and private citizens are allowed to enforce it by suing abortion providers who violate the restriction. State health officials say they will release more data on a monthly basis. Rocket Startup's big Florida launch debut ends with all four mini-satellites destroyed. On Thursday, California-based Astra sent its rocket up from Cape Canaveral after multiple delays, including a last-second engine shutdown. Three, two, zero. The 43-foot rocket arced through the sky over the Atlantic, carrying small research satellites sponsored by NASA. But shortly after the first stage booster dropped away, onboard cameras showed the second stage igniting and appearing to tremble. The video cameras went dark less than four minutes into the flight, and the airwaves grew silent. 
A launch commentator finally confirmed that the payloads failed to reach orbit. Three of the satellites were built by universities in Alabama, New Mexico, and California, while the fourth was from NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston. All ended up crashing into the ocean. SpaceX CEO Elon Musk gave a much-anticipated update Thursday night on his Starship vehicle, which the company hopes will one day take humans to Mars. Musk spoke for over an hour at the media event in South Texas, but he did not share many new details. He reiterated that he wants to pursue a city on Mars, but did not provide updates in regard to who would live there or how it would be governed. Many more unanswered questions remain. NASA has awarded SpaceX a contract to take astronauts to the moon. However, Musk did not describe what testing SpaceX will do before it can carry out its promised missions. Japanese fashion mogul Yasuku Mezawa has said he already paid SpaceX an undisclosed amount of money. This is so he could secure a seat for himself and other artists for a trip around the moon. Musk did hint that there will be more Starship sales announced in the future. Still to come, a food pantry in Athens, Ohio, is getting a little help from sports fans and Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow. Burrow grew up in Athens, and every time he and his team won a playoff game, donations flooded into the charity. All that and more after this short break. With the glitz and glam of Super Bowl 56 host city Los Angeles, the artists behind the upcoming halftime show on Sunday say it had to be them on stage. The first rehearsal was, uh, you know, surprisingly fantastic. It mm. is, and it let us know, okay, we're on to something really special. I told Mary last night that um, I had the chance to like sit back and watch her set and it gave me goosebumps. Mm. Okay, so if I'm getting them, I know what the audience is gonna feel when she hits the stage. It's responsibility, yeah. but I can't please the world and I can't save the world. Um, part. I just have to live, and that's the um, example that I set. Just live, live, live. It's going to be magnifico. <laughs> Mary J. Blige, Dr. Dre, and Snoop Dogg will perform at halftime during the battle between the host team, Los Angeles Rams, and the Cincinnati Bengals. There will be surprises, Dr. Dre said without elaborating. Blige is the only return performer among the group. She was part of an ensemble cast that featured Aerosmith, NSYNC, Britney Spears, and Nelly back in 2001. The game and halftime show will air live on NBC. Are you ready for Super Bowl Sunday? Brands are getting ready to, their, to air their ads for this special games. This year, the ads are moving away from talking about the pandemic and focusing on humor. Let's take a look. Super Bowl is expected to draw 100 million viewers. NBC charges as much as $7 million for 30 seconds of commercial time. So what are the brands doing to utilize this time? This year, they're especially paying a lot of attention to award-winning talent. You have 
um, Grammy winner Megan The Stallion, who's in the Flaming Hot ad, Emmy winner Zendaya, who is making her Super Bowl debut in Squarespace, and Emmy darlings Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara um, pop up for a mini Schitt's Creek reunion in the Nissan Z ad this year. A marketing professor at Northwestern University says 30 seconds of commercial time cost around $5.6 million in last year's Super Bowl. This year, it costs $6.5 to $7 million. Expectations are high. It also shows you how much brands value the Super Bowl spot. They are willing to pay that premium. So it's up substantially from last year. I mean, a million dollar jump, I can't remember a time we saw the advertising jump that much in one year. Space, the boundary of human achievement, the new frontier. He says brands are bringing their best creative content for the Super Bowl. Mars, let's stay here and restore ours. Yeah, it's time to blaze our trail. is I think it's been somewhat built into the Super Bowl culture that no matter what teams are playing, you at least know that there's going to be something interesting and entertaining in the ads. The dark skies have spoken. It is time. You'll see a lot of celebrities in the ads. Arnold Schwarzenegger will portray Zeus to promote BMW's electric cars. I need a charge in the... Oh, thanks. What? I figure you could use a little pick-me-up. And Zendaya will appear on behalf of Squarespace, portraying a woman selling seashells using e-commerce. She also sold swanky seashell accessories, seashell serenity sessions, savory seaside snacks, even seashell excursions of the seashore. Celebrities don't necessarily equal a resonant successful Super Bowl ad. You could pack an ad with a ton of celebrities and it can ultimately still be a dud. The key is creating something that is going to be memorable, something that captures the time, and something that really has a, a great understanding of your audience. Every time quarterback Joe Burrow led the Cincinnati Bengals to a win in this year's NFL playoffs, $9 donations poured into the southeastern corners of Ohio. The funds will go to help families in need. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Donors were supporting the Appalachian region where Burrow grew up and where the poverty rate hovers at twice the U.S. average. The money keeps food on the shelves at the Athens County Food Pantry which receives aid from the Joe Burrow Hunger Relief Fund. We truly are blessed to be able to have our name linked with his name, and we are very grateful for all that he has done in terms of helping Southeast Ohio be recognized as a place that needs some help, but really is a wonderful place. Burrow spotlighted the needs in Athens County when he won the Heisman Trophy in 2019. His words sparked fundraisers that brought in a staggering $650,000 from around the world, more than six times the food pantry's annual budget. Houday Nation, Houday Nation is across the nation, not just in Cincinnati any longer. They have been tremendously generous in their support. It's been a huge boost to an area where an estimated 20% of people experience food insecurity. Donations spiked again after recent Cincinnati wins. 
Nearly 1,400 people have contributed more than $98,000 since the Bengals defeated the Kansas City Chiefs on January 30th. We've seen the $31 donation, and that was because of 31 years before, between the times that the Bengals went to the playoffs. The latest is $56, and 56 is for the 56 Super Bowl. Thanks to the outpouring of giving, the pantry is able to make sure meals are always available and has expanded to offer laundry detergent, soap, and other hygiene items. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Who will win the Super Bowl? That is the big question. Maybe a tiger has the answer. The anticipation builds as Misha, the Amur Tiger, slowly walks up to the glass and makes his prediction. The tiger picked the winner by licking the scented glass where the logo was placed. And no, he did not choose the bangles. To be fair, each logo was scented with the same perfume. The Blank Park Zoo in Des Moines, Iowa says all animals do enrichment type activities on a daily basis, which includes introducing zoo animals to new scents and tastes. And apparently, the animals at the zoo have picked the correct winners eight of the last 11 big games. So the question remains, will Misha be right? Well, we'll find out on Sunday. Kelly Slater, professional surfing's greatest of all time, said he plans to compete for an unprecedented 12th world title, including in Australia, where officials have said he will not be able to travel unless he is vaccinated against COVID-19. And there's a reason that I'm not talking about it that's, that's personal. And I, I do believe that um, medical privacy is a real thing. Um, but I, I, think my, I think my answer of I'll see you in Australia answers that. Slater, who hasn't revealed his vaccination status, has previously expressed skepticism about vaccine mandates. He also defended tennis world number one Novak Djokovic last month. That's after the unvaccinated Serbian was detained and later deported by authorities ahead of the Australian Open. The world title competition will take place in September in Southern California. Slater's first win as a pro was at the same beach in 1990 when he was 18. And now he lives part-time, just a short cycle ride away. A new report shows that a Russian athlete failed a drug test before she won gold at the Winter Olympics. And the Games officials are now fighting Russia's decision to let her compete. Russian figure skating star Kamila Valiva won an Olympic gold on Monday. But the 15-year-old may not be in line for future competitions. A report shows her urine sample, taken from a December race in Russia, tested positive for a banned drug. The International Olympic Committee, or IOC, revealed the results on Friday. We have a 100% uh, policy against doping, and uh, clearly we pursue all doping cases to the end. But clearly, in this specific case, it is an active case, and we are waiting for it to uh, be fully uh, seen to the end. And it would be wrong of anyone to make any comment on this actually particularly because we are talking about a case of a minor, a protected person. According to the IOC, the World Anti-Doping Agency testing lab in Sweden submitted its positive report Tuesday. The Russian Olympic Committee has raised doubts about the long gap between the December doping test and the February announcement. After the results came in, the Russian Anti-Doping Agency imposed a provisional suspension on Valiva. She appealed one day later and the ban was lifted. In an earlier statement, the committee said it would protect its athletes and, quote, keep gold medals won honestly. A top U.S. anti-doping expert says the Rodchenko Anti-Doping Act should be applied at the Beijing Olympics. It allows American authorities to prosecute individuals outside the United States if American athletes are involved in doping schemes. 
Well, I think all those who value clean sport would absolutely be advocating for that. It's obviously really disappointing and the, the wall of silence that the IOC and other global sport leaders have built is, is maddening. And it's exactly why the confidence of athletes and the public have continued to be eroded around this situation. The IOC is asking the Court of Arbitration for Sport to overturn Russia's decision to lift Valiva's ban. They expect a decision before her race in the women's singles next Tuesday. An isolated journalist longs for a cup of coffee for over a week. That's a scene from the 2022 Beijing Olympic Games, one of many. And a German gold medalist says she won't comment until she gets back to her own country. NTD Tiffany Meyer brings us more. At the Beijing Winter Olympics, the key to freedom is a number, 35. That's the key measure of a COVID-19 virus test. A reading below 35 triggers a positive result and required quarantine in an isolation facility. An Associated Press journalist found himself on both sides of that red line this week, having taken tests that came back both positive and negative. Twice, he was instructed to stay in a holding facility outside the main Olympic Press Center. That's where he waited in isolation for his follow-up test results. A negative result triggers a return to the relative freedom of the Olympics' closed loop. That bubble separates those in Beijing for the Games from the city's general population and comes complete with high walls, police patrols and thickets of security cameras. But a positive test result can mean a swift transfer to an isolation hotel. Swedish journalist Philip Gad just emerged from his stay in one. After eight days in isolation, he finally got the call that released him. So he called me and just told me that you're free. And uh, I don't know, I thought that I would be happier, but I, I was just empty. <laughs> empty and, and a bit stressed because I wanted to get out, get out and start work. An ambulance drove him back to his hotel room. From there, he wasted no time, hightailing it to the National Cross-Country Center outside Beijing. Arriving just in time to see Sweden's Jonas Sundling win gold in the women's sprint. The 28-year-old is a well-known reporter and web TV host, but he became a household name after failing a virus test and getting whisked away in an ambulance, dressed head-to-toe in personal protective equipment. He was the vehicle's only passenger for the trip to the isolation hotel. You were in a foreign country, far away, um, and it was hard to communicate with the people in the hotel. And that was quite frightening, of course. I've started thinking more about how free I am in my normal life, that I can go whatever I want, I can do whatever I want. That kind of, um, that, that was something that I that thought about quite, quite a lot. Spotted in a lobby bar holding a cup of instant coffee, Gad explained with a smile he'd been longing for this for more than a week. A gold medalist from Germany says she's waiting to comment on China until after she leaves the country. The Olympian Natalie Geisenberger was sharply critical of China prior to the Beijing Olympics, but said Wednesday that she would wait to speak on the subject. Yes, I think you have to be a bit careful about when saying what, where, and I think many are feeling this way. She hinted there might be a few more things to be said upon her return to Germany. She leaves China later this week. 
According to Olympic rules, athletes can raise political or social issues under certain circumstances, provided there is no disruption or disrespect toward fellow competitors. But so far, athletes have stayed silent during the Winter Games. Geisenberger is the most decorated athlete in women's luge and widely seen as one of the sport's greatest of all time. The nine-time world champion and six-time Olympic champion set a new track record in Tuesday's singles division. Her win extends Germany's domination of the event to a whopping 24 years. Fourteen years apart, two Uyghurs from Xinjiang carried the Olympic flame in Beijing. One is now in the U.S., while his father is locked away in a Chinese jail. We sat down with him to hear his take on this year's games. A smiling Uyghur athlete featured in the spotlight at Beijing's opening ceremony for the Winter Olympics Friday. But was it a feel-good message about China's ethnic unity? Or in the eyes of the suppressed, a political move to whitewash what's happening in China's Xinjiang region, where the ruling Communist Party is accused of committing widespread human rights abuses. That is very offensive to Uyghurs, especially at this moment, because millions of Uyghurs are languishing in the camps, in the, in the jails. Kamal Turk Yaukum, a former Uyghur torchbearer, now a dissident, calls Beijing's selection of his peer for this year's Olympics an elevated form of puppetry and says China has no position to host the Winter Games. This after reports say Beijing worsened its repression against the Uyghur minority and caused huge suffering to his family. One of the casualties of this play was my father. He was a chief editor and the comp one of the compilers of, the, of those uh, literature textbooks for, for Uyghur kids. So he was arrested in 2016, October, and uh, was sent later sentenced to uh, 15 years in prison. Back in 2008, Yao Kum was a star student, chosen to help carry the Olympic flame when Beijing hosted the Summer Games. At that time, he calls state pressure on Uyghurs to assimilate as repulsive, but relatively tolerable. So being chosen to represent not only China, but also the Uyghurs at an international event, Yao Kum said he was immensely honored to carry the torch. Despite disappointment, organizers wouldn't let him run wearing a Uyghur hat. But Uyghur people are proud of their ethnic identity, language and culture. So the Chinese Communist Party's attempts at assimilation were not successful. So it changed its tactics. They want to either fully eliminate or, or fully like assimilate Uyghurs. Now Yao Kum says China has a much bigger goal. Using Beijing's global infrastructure project, the Belt and Road Initiative, China desires quick and total control over the Xinjiang region because of its geographical importance to the project. Okay. The Chinese dream become a nightmare for Uyghurs and Tibets and other ethnic minorities nowadays. So Beijing ramped up its oppression, starting with abolishing Uyghur language education. In its propaganda, Beijing portrays writers and editors of Uyghur language textbooks as turning Uyghur children into so-called terrorists. So these people has, had to be punished. They had to be severely punished. The, the books has to be confiscated and burned. And the, the, the entire Uyghur language education has to be abolished. As a result, Yao Kum's father was arrested, along with his colleagues. They were charged on allegations that their work editing textbooks were subversive, even though the books had been used for years in schools. By then, Yao Kum and the rest of his family had traveled to the U.S. to study abroad. They haven't returned to China, nor heard from Yao Kum's father ever since. 
Today, Western researchers, journalists, and governments have documented widespread evidence of the suppression. It shows that more than a million Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities in Xinjiang have been detained in internment and forced labor camps. The allegations are a top reason the U.S. and its allies chose not to send diplomatic officials to the Winter Games. Beijing denies all of the accusations. What's more, China's decision to thrust a young Uyghur athlete into the spotlight only stirred up more controversy. White House spokesperson Jen Psaki told reporters, We can't allow this to be a distraction. From the human rights abuses, the genocide that we're seeing in parts of China. Valentine's Day is just around the corner, but inflation and supply chain challenges mean that prices will be higher for flowers. You can expect to pay more and have fewer choices. A simple game of cards used to be one of the most popular pastimes, but as players get older, they're worried some games are being forgotten. We take a look at some, young and old, keeping these games alive. Stay tuned for more. Love is in the air this Valentine's Day, and so are inflation and supply chain challenges. Suppliers and distributors are trying to make sure flowers and roses get to the kitchen table on time. Here are the details. The owner and president of California Flower Mall in downtown LA says supply is slowly coming into the flower shops, but consumers have to adapt and consider options for the special occasion. There are issues with getting trucks in and out, uh, you know, in logistics, and I think that's been a long uh, chain of events with the pandemic, with bottlenecks, with production, growth production, and also airline routes have been rerouted, and so it's becoming more challenging to get uh, flowers in into the area. However, clearly it's happening. The mall houses 30 flower wholesalers. The owner says some types of flowers are in a limited supply, while some are abundant. You know, there's a, a shortage in, uh, in what I understand, with white flowers and roses and whatnot. But there are other products and other floral products that are uh, readily available and abundant. When inflation, logistics, and supply chain issues add up, it all comes down to the consumer having to dig deep into their pockets. A florist is buying supplies for her business. She says the prices have definitely gone up. She's paying double compared to last spring. You know, even the prices have gone up, I mean, I'm still able to, you know, do the arrangements and they don't mind about the price, which is kind of surprising. The owner of a flower shop says transportation issues are to blame. It affects a lot of people because of the problem they had at the port, because some flowers are coming on the boat, on the, on the ships, some of them on the airplanes, and they're delaying the flights for some reason, especially from the port, because there's enough people to unload the, 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 the boats, I guess. The owner of the flower mall is hopeful that the situation will improve for Mother's Day, which is the busiest day of the year for florists. But for now, consumers have to pay a little extra. According to the National Retail Federation, consumers are expected to spend almost $24 billion this Valentine's Day. With Valentine's Day just three days away, U.S. Customs and Border Protection is ramping up its inspection of flowers. The total number of flowers they are looking at has reached $1 billion for the third year in a row. The inspections are designed to ensure that imported Valentine's Day flowers are free of pests and diseases. One pest can cause millions of dollars in damage to the nation's crops. As of this week, CBP agricultural experts had inspected more than 1.1 billion cut flowers and more than 480,000 shipments. 
more than 1,700 species of insects and pests were inspected. This number is on par with previous years. Colombia continues to top the list of 58 countries that import flowers to the United States, with the number exceeding 700 million. Most of the flowers are shipped to Miami International Airport. The airport has handled more than 300,000 flowers a day this week. The most popular flowers continue to be roses, mixed bouquets, and chrysanthemums. CBP recommends that those wishing to import flowers, plant material, and other agricultural items consult the Information Center on the CBP website before traveling. Travelers should also declare all items acquired abroad to CBP officials. That will help avoid civil or criminal penalties and reduce the risk of introducing pests and diseases into the United States. A simple game of cards at one time was one of the most popular pastimes. With video and online games taking over, traditional card games don't happen as much anymore. But there's hope. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more. As players get older, they're worried some games are being forgotten. This group gets together each week to play Euchre. The cards you get, you can make it on nothing and get through and get your point, or you can get Euchred or whatever, and you rely on the cards and sometimes you rely on your part. But the rules can be a little complicated, especially for impatient youngsters. And there are concerns time might soon be up for games like this. The younger generation don't know how to play it, so it is going to be lost. Here at Goodwood Primary in Hobart, Uno is the card game that's taken hold, but it could lead these players to more old-fashioned games. Me and my brother Darcy Webb play Go Fish. We play that a lot and Snap because we have a few decks of cards at my house. Playing cards is about more than having fun. The social connection has mental health benefits. That actually gives those social benefits and, and those additional opportunities for for banter and to collectively not necessarily be worrying about what's happening in the news but instead worrying about what the person next to you has in their hand. For both kids and adults, cards can be both a game for the heart and the mind. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Australia has listed koala as endangered wildlife along much of its east coast. The iconic mammals' habitats were under threat from prolonged drought, wildfires and tree felling. According to Australia's Environment Minister, koalas in New South Wales, Queensland and the, Austra the Australian Capital Territory will be listed as endangered. That's a switch from their previous designation as vulnerable. Scientists have been warning that the animal will face extinction unless the government intervenes. Data shows Australia lost about 30% of its koalas in the past three years. Their numbers dropped from more than 80,000 in 2018 to less than 58,000 this year. The worst decline has been in New South Wales. A World Wildlife Foundation study shows that more than 60,000 koalas were killed or injured by wildfires in late 2019 and early 2020. The flames back then burned land almost half the size of Germany. But even before the fires, koala habitats were already declining thanks to land clearing for agriculture urban development, mining, and forestry. At a zoo in the Netherlands, a baby rhino is introduced to his new outdoor home for the first time. He's encountering some big animals he might meet on the African savanna, zebras, giraffes, and antelope. Guided by his mother, the three-month-old calf named Stark 
cautiously observes the other species. At one point, he appeared to snuffle noses with a zebra, but he shied away from a towering giraffe that peered down at him. Stark is a square-lipped rhinoceros. The zoo waited until he was three months old before introducing him to the large outdoor area at the zoo. They say they wanted to be sure the calf would be in robust enough case, in case of a skirmish, between the wild animals. Stark weighed around 110 pounds at birth, and now he has more than 440 pounds. When he gets to about three years old, he'll be transferred to another zoo as part of a European breeding program. Thanks for watching. At NTD, we're honored to be your source for the news. Catch us again tonight at 6.30 Eastern. In New York City, I'm Kevin Hogan.